Hey everybody, this is Adam. I just wanted to take a second to talk about Huntstock before we dive into this episode. Huntstock's going to be August 12th, 13th, and the 14th in Westminster, Mass. If you haven't got tickets for that, it's going to be the biggest collection of uh, companies, brands, content creators, and everything that celebrates the Northeast hunting um, culture. There's going to be a lot of great people there for you guys to meet, uh, a lot of events, shows, and stuff like that. So if you haven't got tickets, click the link in our bio to get those, or you can get them at the gate. Um, Stagger Gear is going to have a booth there. You can stop by, check out some of the gear, buy some of the gear, um, try it on and all that stuff. Stagger Cast is also going to have a booth right there next to it. And kind of what we wanted to tell you guys is we want to do a special little episode uh, at Huntstock where we get to connect with you guys. So if you have a buck story, uh, some tips or some knowledge you want to share with everybody, uh, we'd love to have you sit down with us for 5-10 minutes, uh, tell your story, your information, anything like that. Um, we're going to put together a listener episode. I think it would be a good opportunity to connect with you guys. Um, so if you want to be on StaggerCast, stop by our booth at Huntstock, um, August 12th, 13th, and the 14th, um, and we look forward to seeing you guys there. You're listening to StaggerCast, brought to you by Stagger. All right, welcome back to another episode of StaggerCast. This is episode 13. Isaac just looked it up for me. Couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> and we're sitting down here tonight with Jeff Doyle and Jim Doyle, Jeff's father. And uh, thanks for having us, guys. We appreciate it. Thanks for coming down, guys. Been looking forward to it. And, you know, a lot of guys have seen your videos before, so you don't need much of an introduction. But uh, if you can, for those that don't know you, give us a quick introduction, where you're from, the states you hunt, and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm originally from central New York. Um, now I live in Massachusetts, but spent a good portion of time in, in New Hampshire, too, and mostly hunt New York. New Hampshire and Massachusetts. Um, 41. So I've been at it a while. Uh, have the YouTube channel, of course, you know, tracking 200 series on there, which is going in its fourth fourth seri- um, fourth year. And uh, just love sharing what I do. Yeah. What about you, Jim? Uh, Central New York. I've been hunting the Adirondacks. This coming year will be my 55th year hunting the wilderness areas of the Adirondacks. Yeah. Killed about 35 bucks. Yeah, rack bucks over that time and uh, hunt maybe 70% in the Adirondacks, 30% in other areas, but yep. pretty mm-hmm. pretty much hunt just New York. Yeah, you guys got a pretty good team system, it seems like, when you guys are hunting. In some of the videos, you guys got a little team system going, right? Yeah, so, sometimes, sometimes we just uh, leave each other at the truck and Divide see each and other. Conquer. Yeah. We usually drop each other two or three miles away and then kind of yep. hunt separately. Yeah, yep. Wasn't there a video a couple years ago? Was it the Adirondacks? He got a, you got a buck, and then like, just after that, he got a buck. What was the story on those? That was pretty cool. Um, I guess there's a ton of beech nuts. That was the first thing, and it was really crunchy. And we went in, you know, went in together on this trail, and there's beech nuts every place, but the crunch was just super loud. So we're kind of like, we'll divide and conquer, and we, uh, he went, you know, one way. And as he's walking away, I can hear him crunching, and all of a sudden, I hear him more crunching from a different direction. And I saw I saw a deer, although I couldn't tell what it was, pretty quickly. So that gave me, you know, high hopes in the area. Um, but then we we kind of you know separated, worked my way up over top of this mountain that I had actually shot a buck on um, a few years before. And as I'm up there, I can I can hear this kind of weird noise. Right in uh, it was a it was two bucks fighting. And I saw three bucks tangle one time when I was in a tree stand. And I thought, if I had only got down, I could have climbed down from a tree stand and run over there and shot one of them. No like, kidding. Yes. Had the opportunity. So I knew at this point, like, I need to motor over there while they're still getting busy. They're preoccupied. Yeah. Yeah. And then I hear, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no way. <laughs> so you got to tell me what, what, yeah, what happened there. Well, it was super crunch conditions, and most people don't like hunting crunchy conditions, but we utilize the grunt call a lot on crunchy conditions. The yep. deer hear you coming, but if you if you do like the 7-Eleven, 7 to 11 steps, stop, grunt, 7-Eleven, steps, stop, and grunt, and, and you're a little patient and use that grunt call, you can just work in towards a buck, and at some point, they start coming to you, and you can hear them crunching, coming to you. And that's what I did with that buck. I crunched them in. So. Yeah. Hey. No kidding. Out. And how far away were you guys, like a mile or two or pretty close? We were about I, a mile. About a mile? Yeah. 
So you shot the buck and you had two fighting in front of you. Yeah. So then continue with what happened. So, so I I was pretty certain that he had just got one, right? Yeah. I was pumped, but I could hear those bucks fighting and I just started moving fast. Like as fast as I fast as I could sneaking. And um it I guess you might be able to see it in the video, but when I saw them, they were in this little clearing and they were just spinning. They had their racks together, and they're just and they're just spinning and spinning and spinning. And when I got the when I got the gun up, I don't know which was which, but it was so cool. I was going to shoot one of them. Right. Like I couldn't tell if one was a big and one was a little one. Um, so I just waited till one spun by and I pulled the trigger. Yep. And I didn't realize at that point when a few seconds had passed and a buck came running by me, I couldn't pull the trigger on that buck because I don't know if it's the one I just shot or the other one. Right. So I waited, and um, that was it. Was a little touch and go because eventually you came up, and we we're trying to find blood, and there just there wasn't any blood to speak of. I went down off the mountain, and it, like I said, it was crunchy. I'm down there, and all of a sudden I hear crunch, 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 crunch. I didn't have the video rolling, and I could hear deer running right at me. And I thought, oh no, what if a big buck comes <laughs> running right at yeah. me? Like, like, and you I don't shoot. even know if I missed this buck, right? And three doe came up over this little rise. And I was just like, oh, thank God, it's not a buck. that I got to, you know, pass up at this point. Yep. So um, eventually he found blood. And the buck was dead, right? The buck oh. had, That was the buck that had ran by me. Yep. That was him. And he was just piled up on this trail just down the side of the mountain. No kidding. Yeah. The interesting thing about the buck I shot was I'd, I'd been uh, hunting for 10 days in the Adirondacks. I hadn't seen a deer in 10 days. And I told Jeff, if I see a buck today, you're with me. I'm going to shoot a buck. So it was a small five-pointer. It was no big buck or anything, but it was my trophy for the year, and I was happy yep. as can be. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's a good day in the Adirondacks. Bucks fighting you both get like, one. Yeah, and then the work began, huh? Yeah. You had to get two bucks out. Yeah. Oh, and the, the snow conditions, that super crunchy condition. Yep. It, the snow was like Velcro. We, mm. we dragged those bucks maybe a half a mile, and there wasn't any hair left on the side of the box. Yeah. They were just down to bare snow. Was he like plowing up the snow kind of? No, 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 it was it was rock solid. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And there wasn't any hair left on him. So it, Jeff actually carried both bucks out. <laughs> you carry one <laughs> out and came back, back for the other one? He came yeah. back and he carried, he carried both those bucks out. That's a workout, huh? That's it what was... sons are for, right? <laughs> 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 how, how did you, uh, how did you get? Jeff into it when he was young what was the story. I know we got a lot of young, you know, young fathers that listen in on the podcast about, and they probably want to know about how you get your kids into it. What What did you do to get Jeff into it, or did you just kind of take to it? Well, the probably the first hunting experience we had, Jeff might have had was um, it was a father and son, three fathers and three sons, ten year olds went back. We we hunted across the West Canada Creek. It was about 150 feet wide, and you rode across a cable car, and we had a wall tent eight by ten wall tent back in the woods i yep. hunted out of it for 20 years so it was the early muzzleloader season and the game plan was 10 years old we we're gonna let jeff shoot a doe because you could shoot a doe with the muzzleloader that time so we went up on this beach nut ridge and we're looking around eating lunch and there's all sorts of bear nests every place you looked there was where the bear pulled the branches yep. in bear nest bear nest and jeff says uh hey dad there's a bear so you tell the rest of the story. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And uh, I, I actually, I didn't know what those marks were on the beech trees. I remember asking, somebody hit it with a hatchet. And you explained, you know, that it was claw marks from the bear climbing. And we looked at that. We saw the nests. And then, yeah, he go, that, the bear's just walking by us, just broadside. <laughs> what would you say? I, I'd say it was like... 20 25 yards away yeah yeah pretty close right and uh you, you want to take it and i was like no <laughs> you, like you take it so we he shot it and it and it ran up and um and when it dropped i was like dad is it dead and it, and it pops back up and just starts coming right at us that's exciting and, and it hit it hit a little sapling and and yeah. just fell over maybe 10 feet from us yeah it was pretty it was close really close to us were you guys wow. pulled back up ready to shoot again or <laughs> it was what? Muzzle muzzle loader. Loader. oh yeah I, I, I remember looking at him and i mean you get the excitement anyways and, a, and that powder <laughs> little measure cup oh is shaking gosh. like this and i'm thinking <laughs> it's a good so, so it was a great start for a young guy oh yeah. my and, then, gosh. It, and then um 
at that time in New York, you could only shoot like one one buck. Uh, now you can shoot seven deer in New York legally. Okay. But, so I burned some tags. Would let Jeff, you know, fill my tag with a small buck, and yep. it was just the price he paid as a parent to right. to get him involved. And now I'm 69 and he's 41, and he still comes home to hunt with me. Maybe yep. only one or two days out of the whole year, but. If, if a guy wants a long-term relationship with his son and they're into hunting, you know, you got to make them successful. Take them someplace where you don't take them to the hardcore Adirondacks where, where your success ratios are so, so low. Take them where you can be successful hunting. Right. Get his interest up and then, then work on the more difficult hunting yep. areas. And then from there it evolved into the big woods hunting and stuff together. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. You guys have had some wicked adventures, I bet. Yeah. I mean, we had the option to always go what they call the Southern Tier in New York, and that was shotgun drives, right? Small property. Dad mm-hmm. had access on a farm um, that was, like, pretty primo hunting, but eventually got to the point where I wanted to go up to the Adirondacks mm. and have that adventure versus yep. be around people that are hunting and, um, you know, on, on small small parcels. So we we started to do a lot more up up north mm-hmm. yeah yeah i've heard a lot of guys say that live down in that area that's like you know right in between the like southern part and the adirondacks it seems like all the guys end up wanting to hunt the adirondacks there's something about that big woods thrill you know there's not as many deer you know the racks might not get as big but it's something about it and you know i relate to it because i'd i definitely would rather hunt the big woods than farm country any day yeah, yeah. that's the biggest the big woods you can get in the northeast too the it's adirondacks the adirondacks are crazy. endless all oh, the wilderness endless. areas in the adirondacks are, are just majestic yeah. i mean the, the 200 year old trees enormous white pine uh, great gray birch you wouldn't even recognize it as a gray birch they're just Monster. five feet in diameter and they don't even look like a birch and yeah and it's, it's big woods but it's a uh, wilderness that hasn't been cut in a couple hundred years yeah. it's a beautiful area it's not the best hunting areas right but it's one of the most beautiful areas so now is the forever wild parts of the adirondacks with the entire thing pretty much right was that well, there's cut? six million acres in the yeah. adirondack park yeah three million of it is privately owned and three million acres is state-owned gotcha and the state-owned land is forever wild and then within that state-owned land there's different land use classifications or designations right and one of them is wilderness mm-hmm. and there's about a million acres of wilderness areas in the adirondacks so it's the biggest park in the continental united states excluding alaska so mm-hmm. no kidding yeah. in that that wilderness area was that logged off like way back in the day or was that never logged off like both so, both some of the some? areas were logged off but they, they haven't been logged in 200 years. Wow. Other areas where the loggers really couldn't get to some of those areas Real or they were growth. in private holdings yep. and they weren't logged. So there's, if you go on the internet, there's actually, and look up um, old growth forests in the Adirondacks, mm-hmm. you'll see a list of about 20 parcels that were the acreage, some up to 40,000. Wow. Matter of fact, that Five Ponds Wilderness Area yep. is one, I think, I think that's the largest wilderness area. Uh, old growth forest in the Adirondacks. No yep. kidding. It's kind of cool to think about that. That's like what the woods would have looked like when Christopher Columbus got here. You know, it's yeah. never been cut yeah. still to this day, which is kind of cool to me because it is everything around, you know, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, it's all been cut, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much. I would say 90% of it at least. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's kind of a cool. cool There's probably thing. a good percentage of bucks that never see human out there and just die of natural causes, wouldn't you, would you say, that don't There's, get shot at? There's no. <laughs> um, in the Adirondacks, the the bucks my the deer migrate, mm-hmm. but some of them migrate to feeding areas where there's humans. But there's a lot of bucks and does that migrate to natural natural um, wintering areas that are devoid of humans. So right. they they never really have that contact. And the particular particular area that we hunt is one of those areas where they're they're going just to natural yards. No kidding. And the yards have been preserved. I mean, they haven't been caught. That's cool. Yeah. So there's some, some probably real giants out there lurking. Well, I, I'll say 
you know, there's there's times when you're back in the woods and you think, wow, I wonder how long it's been since somebody's set foot on this, you know. Yeah. And that happened to me last year. I got into this this little pocket between these two kind of swampy areas, and it was, it was not easily accessible. There's this beautiful scrape lawn. That night I was telling him about it, and he was there like two hours before me. <laughs> <laughs> so two hours. Your answer is two hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dad beat me punches there. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, we pull up on X, and we're like, where? Yeah, right there. Oh, that's funny. Like father, like son, huh? Yeah. 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 We came in from different directions, and yeah, it's funny. We uh we usually start with a shameless stat segment. We kind of get off topic there, but want to hit us with uh, some numbers here. Give us your best scoring buck. Uh, heaviest weight buck you get, you guys both have. Let's hear him. He beats me in both. Both. <laughs> well, my highest scoring buck is 181.6. It's non-typical 17-pointer. I got it outside the Adirondack Park. It's a, it's a New York buck. It, it was a great hunt, and I worked that buck a lot. A lot. Uh, no 200-pound bucks in New York, but uh, Western Ontario, I got four. Yep. The heaviest was uh, 228. Wow. That's, that's yeah. a big heavy one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Jeff? So I've got two bucks from Western Ontario over 200. Um, hence the track and 200 series, you know, yep. continues. Yep. I haven't uh, notched the belt here in the Northeast, but maybe this year will be the year. And then folks, maybe if they've seen some of my videos, the next Ridge Buck was my highest scoring buck. That was 146 and four eights. Giant buck. Giant. Wow. Was, yeah. If you haven't seen that video, you got to go see it on Jeff's YouTube channel. That's a channel. wicked video. Yeah, was last that? last day of the year, and I think he weighed one sixty eight. Yeah, it's a good buck. Yeah, December thirty first. So, I had I had tracked that buck earlier in the week, um, and I had marked I had marked a spot where I saw a big track, but I wasn't sure it was him. But early in the week, I'd seen where that buck was feeding in acorns, and there's just these giant time marks, you mm. know, big wide. That's what I'm saying. They're yeah. wide time marks, and um, yeah, that that was. It's really neat to be able to catch up with that buck. Yeah, that'll get your heart pounding, won't it? Oh when you're yeah. You're on a track and you see those big old antler marks. Yeah, look time like somebody's sticking a rake in the ground though. there. Yeah, I love the time marks. I love the wide ones. Wait, yeah. What do you? What, do you, what gets you guys excited? Wide, 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 wide. Yeah, definitely wide. wide. Mass. Just yeah. mass, when you see yeah. them, they don't even look like real to me. Anyways, when you see that big wide thing going, going through, through the, the woods, woods, it's like <laughs> out of my dreams. You know, like yeah. But, I shoot a wide two point. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I want to loop back because uh, in a lot of your videos, you do a lot of calling, vocalization, rattling, and stuff. It seems like you've got a pretty like keen sense on like when to stop, you know, when to grunt and and when to rattle. And so like, what do you look for like when you're tracking a buck or when you're bear ground hunting? What are some like some some specifics that you that you see that like, hey, I need to stop here. Like, what do you look for in a in a vocalization situation? So what I'm trying to do there is is have an advantage, and when I'm, you know, just you could do it when you're tracking, right? If you're looking, say you're on a track and you're going to come up over a little lip, um, rather than walk over and completely expose yourself, if the buck is up there, you kind of have two options. You could sneak up, right, and try to look, get see him first. But if it's, let's say it's crunchy, um, he'd be on to you. And so what I try to do in that case then is use a vocalization to kind of call him into me Mm -hmm. and maybe I'd hear him walking in. So I think it's just about having been in the woods so many times and bumped a deer. Like you think, Oh, this looks like a kind of deer habitat where you're going to see one. And then you go 10 steps further and you bump one. That would have been the good time to call. Mm. And I think through just lessons learned that I kind of, um, I do a lot of calling and, you know there's times when nothing comes mm. a lot of times nothing comes but it have been i guess successful and and i i'll tell you a funny story so this this year i was um it was like the weekend before it was a few days before i shot the buck um what's it the saddle rattle buck and i sat down i had been on this walk all over the place and I ended up getting into a spot where there was some fresh rubs, a fresh scrape, and I, I just uh, started to sit down. And I'm like, I'm going to wait out the last, like, 35, 40 minutes here. And then I'm looking around, grab my phone, and I 
I don't have reception, but I went to Facebook and I can see I still got some feed. I'm scrolling <laughs> through, scrolling through these um, images, you know, stories of people that have that have hunted. I think it was a New Hampshire story, and this guy says my season lasted 15 minutes. I got in the stand, I I used the bleat call, a buck ran and I shot him. Right? I was like, well, I don't have a can call, but it's worth a shot. So yep. I stood up, gave a few bleats, <laughs> and literally like a minute and a half later, the seven point just comes right on a line, right in. So, you know, you got to be within earshot mm. um, to have it happen, and you kind of have happen in the right mood, too. So, yep. I think uh, we learned a lot when we went to Canada, Can- mm. uh, Western Ontario. It was so thick that there was places where you couldn't shoot 10 yards, and it was, it was so thick you could, couldn't quietly go through cover. But we ended up learning the technique where you just put your nose in the wind and go straight into the wind and call mm. and those the population of the bucks the age structure was such that you had a lot of mature bucks and there was a lot of competition and he when you got close to a big buck he either rattling or grunting they just fired up and they just went berserk and that's kind of where we learned that technique of using the grunt call a lot when you're walking even if you're making noise crunchy snow same same conditions so i think it's a real effective technique to, to use that grunt call yeah and with the deer population being a little higher at that time you get a bit of confidence in it mm. that it's going to work too right same thing with rattling i like to i like to walk a lot i got the wanderlust but if i can keep myself sitting there for 20 minutes it gives enough chance for that deer that buck um, to come in yeah Okay. Do you guys do much calling or rattling? Yeah, I I grunt a lot yeah. on crunchy snow. Like that one I got in Massas here, that's how I got him. Yeah. I was tracking him on crunchy snow and I had jumped him with a bunch of does and he split off with the doe split off from the does and I was just following him and every ten, fifteen steps I'd stop and blow the grunt tube and I'd just listen for a second and I'd keep going. And eventually I I hit the grunt tube on a big flat, and I hear him coming. He ran right back at me, and that's how I got him. You I, were in his head then. He oh, thought, yeah. He thought a, doe, a buck had come in for that yeah, doe. Yeah, because he never, you know, he never smelled or saw me when I busted up the whole group. I think they just heard me coming up through and ran, you know. that That's all I can figure. And, yeah, he, he thought I was a buck and came yeah. running back. And I've done it a couple times. I love doing that. A lot of guys don't even go out on crunchy snow. I think it's awesome because it's almost like, in a way, kind of like elk hunting or turkey hunting because you got a call and you're trying to, you know, bring yeah. them to you. I, you're right. I used yeah. to hate crunchy snow, and now I don't say it's my favorite, but right. I've been successful on it a few times, and I kind of like it. Yeah. Because and, you can hear that. Right. And one thing that I think, too, is a lot of guys will try to sneak on crunchy snow, and I think that's almost worse. When it's crunchy... Yeah just walk like sound like a deer just walk do that man. seven or eleven yep. seven to eleven steps yep. stop grunt yep and don't even try to what, be quiet because when you hear a big buck or see a big buck coming that's what he's doing he's oh, taking yeah. those yeah few steps stop yeah because if you're trying to be quiet and like cat like you're sounding just like a predator which you are you know yeah. so <laughs> you want to try to sound like like you said a deer crunch one up that's right crunch one up kind of piques their curiosity too right if, you, if you're going you stop and they're kind of like, well, what is that you know it yeah. brings them in from there um what about what about rattling what do you look for when it comes to rattling i know you got your your saddle rattle buck like what's the breakdown on like that type of situation i guess that's the second buck i've rattled in in a saddle so i think having a big ear shot mm. is one thing um setup right maybe you should tell your story about setup remember which yeah. one you where you were talking about you didn't have very good cover right because oh, when yeah. when you're rattling they're going to be coming in looking for two bucks right they expect to see something yeah and if you're if you're out there in the open and um just kind of like turkey hunting right yeah. when you when you're going to call if you put a decoy or if you try to get to a place where they have to get to see you and then you've got a clear shot of them that's a better scenario than being like up on a big flat ridge where they can just look up and not see any not see any deer yeah, I blew it on two big bucks this year, both <laughs> one rattling, one grunting, and both the scenarios were the same in that I called, the bucks came in, but I was daylight. I was just 
up against a tree and you got to get yourself into better cover hide yourself a little bit if you're going to call rattle and bring them in yep i i kind of my confidence isn't up in rattling as much as grunting so what i got a bluebird day it's a beautiful 60 50 degree day this blue sky i might just pick a spot on the map five miles away and then just every third of a mile do a, do a rattle session stay there for 15 or 20 minutes and move on to the next one so kind of blowing off a day seeing some real estate mm-hmm. looking the woods over and doing some scouting yeah but my confidence isn't that high on rattling yeah yeah i did more rattling this past year than i've ever done before because i was up in maine and kind of like what your situation was i walked up on two bucks fighting a, a great big giant one and a giant four-pointer they were fighting as soon as i crested up over a hill they split off and then Went back there the next few days was bare ground, dry, hot, and tried rattling. Never, never got anything to come back in. But it's, it's interesting when you see it as the first one I've ever walked up on fighting. You don't see that too often. So, no. Yeah. I've never rattled. No, never tried never it. Have. I really want to though, especially that video, the saddle rattle buck. Really, I'm like, Whoa. that was cool. It's like you know, maybe it is possible. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I tried to leave in like the full rattling sequence. Yep. Even though it, you know, it's just me putting them together, but. Um, just to give folks an idea like really how much I, how long i do it for right you know you're not necessarily taking them and bashing them together right um but i i'm trying to broadcast that sound as far mm. as i can um very very much like you said turkey hunter elk hunting right. it's your calling and um i guess what i've seen is in, in canada too sometimes the smaller bucks will come in like mm. they're curious i don't know if i have ever got like the the big boss to come in right to the rattle no kidding. Do you think there's something to that? I don't know. I don't know. Because I've heard some theories. I've heard biologists say that, you know, the biggest buck in an area most likely will have the doe. And then you have, like, satellite bucks, you know, around the outside of that area, and that's what a lot of times what you'll rattle in. That's yeah. a theory I've heard. But, I mean, mm-hmm. guys do ra- Charlie Foote's biggest buck he ever killed he rattled in. He said he's had, like, two of them run at him just Run at but the biggest one, that, like, 150, high 150s buck he killed there, he rattled that one in. Yeah. So, can be done. Yeah. I definitely want to try this year because, like, what you said, um, you know, just picking a spot and just going, like, you know, a quarter mile, whatever, rattling and just covering new ground because on those days I'm just usually just beating feet. So I feel like doing what you're saying, stopping, you know, doing a little rattle sequence, it's putting you in the game a little more than just beating feet. Yeah. So I think it's kind of a you know good way to, to burn a bare ground day for sure. Yeah. Going off the bare ground hunting and, and rattling stuff and the buck you get this past year in the saddle, do you look for like a lot of geological features for like bare ground hunting and stuff or how do you kind of break down bare, bare ground days? I, I mean, I, I kind of say there's a, bu- a big buck on every mountain. Yeah. So mm. once you get onto that mountain, and, and when I say that, it's like a, a quality buck. It might not be yep. the biggest buck. It might not yeah. be a 200-pounder, but it's a good a buck, buck that's worth having a good hunt over. And um, I started to really kind of look at the features this year, like even in more detail. There's a few places that I've, because I growing up in New York, like I had to come out here and start all over again. And that was really, tra- that was really challenging. Mm-hmm. Like I was going to, at the time, we didn't have OnX. I was on, um, I get a little sidetracked, but... I was on Google Maps looking yep. at the green park areas, oh, yeah. right? And um, I was really kind of caught up in that before I knew kind of where to go and uh, how to select areas. And people have just tremendous resources with the podcasts and social media now to reach out to people. So that's that's really useful. But um, I've been going back to this this one place, um, you know, over and over, and I'm starting to see things that I didn't notice the first time. So it tells me. When I'm walking through the first time, I'm not really picking up everything. These mm-hmm. little fingers, right, that the deer travel up. Um, little areas where, like in Massachusetts, I, I was on snow and I came through this little mountain laurel, this little tiny trail, and boom, on the other side is this big signpost rub. I never would have never would have popped in there to see it had it not been on the trail. So um, being on the snow is a great way. But looking at um, places where the deer can uh, travel their routes and where they won't be. That's one of the things I've tried to do e-scouting is like look at a, um, like a pond, right? They're not going to be at the pond. They might have to work around it. So, all right, now you've got a pinch point. Mm-hmm. Um, really steep 
section of a mountain, they might not be there. So you start to think about travel patterns and um, just try to put yourself like in the essentially in the crosshairs of the way the deer travel. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And saddles. Yeah. Like you, that's you like to rattle. You said because you can broadcast good sound like in those saddles because you can get to like the sound to different ridges right in that one spot. Absolutely. Yep. yep. And that buck, I I know he came off of one of the knobs. So not the knob that in the video I point to, mm. but the other the other one that made up that portion of the saddle. That's where he came off of. Um, you know, if he was living up there, maybe there was another buck on the other knob. Like. Right could have called either of those in right, right yep. it really increases your chances what was the elevation there in that up in that saddle uh i don't yep. know off the top of my that head that was up in the whites right yeah 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 so what probably you, up a ways yeah i imagine so what what type of scouting do you do in the off season do you run cameras and stuff like that or are you just kind of i've got a few cameras yeah i guess i i'm just kind of curious about what's in a particular area hmm. right if there's a really big buck um it gives me some enjoyment to go pull a camera card you know download what's on there Mm -hmm. but i try to do a bit of um scouting during turkey season right okay um i'm out there the the greenery hasn't come up yet so you still got scrapes and Mm -hmm. all that stuff from the prior years preserved but most of my scouting is i I think someone on the the podcast was saying it is during the season yep like Mm -hmm. it was charlie it was joey joey probably both of them they both come like that yeah. yeah He does a lot of, he sees a lot of country when he's hiking around and stuff. But yeah, I think he said up the last few weeks before the season. Yeah, Charlie, I think it was the one who said it. Which is, I mean, the best time you're going to see those. It's the freshest sign. Yeah, it's true. It's it's right then and there. But just going back to your previous question about geologic features. One thing that I've found be be successful at is uh, when you got a big wetland complex in they show up as swamps or bogs or vlies. A lot of the topo maps in New York show them as vlies. Yeah. But it's a big wetland complex. And work around that wetland complex and look for the uh, a rise coming out of that, you know, maybe a, a two, three, four hundred feet elevation rise, yeah. a, a knob. And those bucks tend to go up on those up on those rises at that elevation around those big bogs. Yeah. And, and I would definitely ha- have guys work work those great spot called from rattle mm. from from or just pick up a big track right because they live kind of in those bogs right oh they go down there and rot yeah oh yeah they may bed high but they go they, down there and they, chase the girls they around they go down huh? chase does yeah leave a lot of scrapes are the does down there. live in there because because there's no cutting and stuff are they feeding on those edges of those bogs because yeah, that's, that's where you're getting your most that's your edge stuff. it's yeah, not it's you know edge, in, yeah. in new hampshire maine you're looking at clear cuts for your edge in the adirondacks mm-hmm. you're looking at the, the change in, from wetland to hardwoods and right. softwoods and there's edge yeah so you guys have hunted what you've hunted you hunt mass now uh new york maine you what you started dabbling around maine a couple years ago right yeah we did maine yep how was that up in maine what was the you know coming from the adirondacks and massachusetts it's a lot different up i mean you guys were way up too right up allagash yeah something. we were in the allagash what what's your uh, interpretation of that what do you think of it compared to you know, New York and down here. What did you think? Well, I, I, it was a great opportunity to hunt. It was a bucket list hunt for me. Yep. I, I saw, in the six days of hunting, I saw the four biggest buck tracks I've ever seen in my life. And it's 54 years of hunting. It was the biggest buck tracks I've ever seen. Yep. Uh, we, we hit boilerplate crunch, and we couldn't make it happen on the boilerplate crunch, but we had boilerplate crunch all, well, five days and one day of heavy rain, so... I was impressed with the size of the deer that I did see. I saw six deers in six to six days. Yeah, yeah, that's Jeff pretty good. Yeah. So. I mean, we tracked some good ones. I was surprised by the amount of pressure that's up there. Mm. I will say there's quite a bit of pressure. It's crazy. Um, but, yeah, some just, you know, ginormous tracks, stride on these bucks. Um, it was fun. I probably did. It was my second longest day up there where I know some guys will say they do like 20 miles in a day. And I had my phone on me counting steps, and I did eight miles by lunchtime, and that was by noon, and that was on a track. I had uh, he he dropped me, and I was going down this road, and there's a a big track crossing the road, and he was going to like to my right, and I said I'll just walk down to the end of this road, and see if he comes back the other way versus go up in the woods because there was there was a little bit of snow to trudge through. 
So I got all the way down the end of the road and I, I turn around cause he didn't come out and there's headlights. And I'm like, Oh, and they're stopped at that track. I'm like, Oh, no way. And I, I book it. I'm just running as fast <laughs> as I can to get up into the woods and angle them off to make sure they don't get on that track before me. Cause if yeah. they're going to, if they're going to get out, they're going to see my tracks on <laughs> Yeah. I got up there. I was like, I almost had an asthma attack. I could barely <laughs> breathe. Um, and then I, I just, I pushed that buck as hard as I could go, um, for the next like five hours and went eight miles and then got cut off by somebody else. Dang. Oh. Yeah. And they, and then they went for like two miles and they got cut off by somebody else. It was, um, that much pressure up there. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've always seen a ton of pressure in Maine. Huh. Every time I've been up there, it's like, it's, it's a tricky game to play with all those roads, man. Yeah. It's, it's just the you, access thing. There's a, there's a road flying everywhere. Every yeah. You know? We were, I was very surprised at the network of roads. Like it's I'm used to hunting an area, go in on a trail or something that the next road's over 30 miles away. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like the Adirondacks. It's all foot foot entry you're you're going Absolutely in off a trailhead and you gotta burn it. burn the leather burn the rubber to right. find a buck track you yeah. ever been cut off in the adirondacks at all um yes yep yeah jeff's got a good story about getting cut off that long, i, I long, probably long told road. it before but it was uh i was in college i think maybe i had graduated college but i was just kind of coming into where i felt comfortable tracking like there's always something to learn right. every year I learn something else but um, I was getting to be pretty you know pretty to the point where I could see a track and know okay that's a big buck track and mm-hmm. know some of the fundamentals and um, there was this good buck track but I only went like 200 yards on it and I jumped him out of his bed he was really close to the truck so that was the start to the day and they took me up on this mountain went way up on the mountain and he bedded in this real nasty thick um like spruce stuff and I just could not get in there without making any noise so he heard me and he went out and I said all right he's going down the mountain now I got a perfect advantage and I sat there had a sandwich and as I was eating the sandwich I heard a gunshot Mm. but I thought it must be it must be too far so I go down the mountain and he's going from running to walking now and I'm like okay it's getting good I'm gonna I'm gonna catch up with him and all of a sudden I see this buck and i can see the rack sticking out of the snow and i'm just like oh no and um but then the guy ended up knowing he was he was just waiting there on a drive and this buck came in from Dang. the wrong the wrong direction yep. and he shot it um so you know I, I i took a picture with it congratulated him a couple other guys came along and and then i went on my way and hunted the rest of the day then a, then a couple days later i was on another another good buck and i missed him last day of the season um so it, it it gave me a lot of confidence, and you know if if I don't get a buck at the end of the year, goal is obvious to shoot a buck, right? Mm-hmm. But if I I kind of would rather hunt the whole season, right. get my money's worth out of my tag, right? <laughs> all that shoot one on the very last day, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like I've got the most out of the season. So. It's not all about killing the deer. Yeah, yeah. It seems like you kill a lot of late season bucks in mass. It seems like right. Yeah, the the muzzleloader season so. You know, mass is going to have snow more often in the late season than the early season, yep. and I think that's a nice that's a nice advantage. Um, the you know just a factor of having snow or not having snow. I think. Yep. Yeah, you killed a lot of bucks in the muzzleloader. Yeah, and the bucks are slowing down that time of year. They're yeah. they're putting the feed bag on. It's my favorite time to track. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. October twenty fifth is when tracking season begins. Wicked. Yeah. It's wicked that time Thanksgiving of year, man. Week. They just get up, and lay down, get up, lay Before down. Before that, you're just chasing them, chasing. Oh yeah. They cover some miles. All zombie walking. Yeah. November, you mean? You said oh, yeah, November. oh yeah, 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 November. Gotcha. Yeah, Thanksgiving yeah. week. I'm yeah. guessing for you, Jim, the Adirondacks in New York is probably your favorite state hunt, being that you've done it for so long. Yeah, or? it's in my blood at this point. Fifty-four yeah. years of hunting there, so. I, I like the big woods. I like the wilderness. Yep. It's not the biggest bucks. I'm not, I'm not going to shoot a 200 pounder. I'm not going to. Maybe a high end buck might score 140, 150. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But most of mine are like in the one, 100 to 120, 125. Good bucks. So, yeah, good bucks for sure. What about you, Jeff? What do you got a favorite state to hunt? Is it? I, I, I mean, you kill them all over the place. So. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, honestly, any place I'm hunting with dad. Um, 
you know, to be kind of sentimental about it. Uh, Canada was really neat. Any place where there was an adventure, like going up to going up to Maine, mm-hmm. that was an adventure. Um, going to Canada the first time, boy, that was a, a really neat adventure. Colorado, I've, I've enjoyed our, our elk trips to Colorado. So it's it's hard to pick a favorite. I, I got to get a big one in New Hampshire. Mm. Um, I've missed three big bucks. Really? Yep. Was yep. that one you got last year your biggest New Hampshire buck to date? Or was it um, that bow buck you got? I think the bow buck actually weighed more. Yep. Did he? Yep. Yeah. That, that, I think that, that was 107. What did I say? You know, I think the bow buck was 178. And, um, yeah, the buck last year was one close to 184, so it would have been the heaviest one. Yep. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's well, a good buck. I'm sure you will get a big New Hampshire buck. <laughs> but uh, one thing I wanted to do real quick, do you want to plug your YouTube channel? If people don't know, I'm sure yeah. everybody does, but yeah, so, tell them about it. Yeah, um, it's just Jeff Doyle. If you if you Google uh, Google that or if you go to YouTube, you can you know look me up. I try to put on just a – it's a story of me trying to – get a 200 pound buck um i'm not gonna pass up a big rack buck mm, yeah. to wait for a 200 pounder <laughs> but i i previous seasons i passed up some nice nice tracks trying to find that 200 pounder and i thought well you know what kind of an adventure to show just how hard it is mm. for those people like you know charlie right he's yep. got a bunch that are 200 pounds and um the guys that are up there, just how hard it is and, and how meaningful it is to get one that's that size. Wicked. It's a unique animal. It is. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it, there's a lot of luck involved with it, too. You can be the greatest deer hunter that walks, but still, you got to have that little horseshoe in your pocket that day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, yeah. How did uh, how did you get into doing the whole YouTube thing? Like, what influenced you to do that? Because you were, I think you were one of the first to really do the Northeast self-filming thing, and then... You kind of pioneered the over-the-shoulder look. It seems like there's not a lot of people doing that, and you kind of you kind of brought that on. But what made you want to you know put stuff out, or what got you into self-filming and stuff? I, I couldn't explain it really. I guess I just had a camera, and I I had a desire to start to film and show maybe family and and others kind of what it was like being in the woods. Uh, and then I I guess I started to well I, I didn't watch a lot of deer hunting videos like on TV. Um, because it didn't really relate to me. And I thought, i got to put something up that kind of relates to this style of hunting that I do in, in the Northeast. Yep. And uh, people really liked it. So mm. I continued it, and I, I did, like, it was a, a hunting log one season, just updates kind of from the woods. And I was surprised that people liked, you know, a, a, sh- a video where you didn't see a deer, you didn't kill a deer. It was just about hunting. Yep. And uh, the same thing with, with the Tracking 200 series. You know, I... I try to be successful and have, I think it's averaged out to about one successful hunt a year on the show, yep. which is great. But a lot of the episodes are just kind of me explaining what I'm doing, why I'm doing it and, um, being on that journey. So it's, it's fun. It's fun to look back on the videos too. And, and now I'm, I'm also interested in bringing other people that are, you know, they want to be a content creator right? and they're looking to grow their, their, you know, their, um, subscriber list and, if they want to put a show on for tracking 200, do an episode, you know, have them reach out to me. I'd love to hear from them. Yeah. The mountain hunter on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. That'd yeah. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. I was, I wanted to tell you that you were the reason why I started filming, self-filming. Really? You inspired me straight up. I was one of, I was telling you earlier, I was one of your first, like, I bet you it was under 500 when I subscribed to you. It was like 2011, 12, that area. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, it, so, I mean, you definitely were one of the pioneers of the GoPro hunting in the Northeast, and it's kind of sparked a pretty big little, or, you know, community yeah. of guys doing it. So, yeah. it's cool. I, I guess folks look at it and they're like, hey, I think I can do that better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hard. I, yeah. And, and one question I have for you, do you think the self-filming has made you a better deer hunter, or do you think it's hurt your, so cramped your style? Um. I don't know if it's maybe a better deer hunter. Uh, has it cost me any bucks? I, it did cost me a buck the same year I got my highest scoring buck. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. So I had a buck above me. I had called in with the grunt call. I, I called in two bucks that day, um, just about 10 minutes apart in the same spot. And I think the bigger buck was just slower to come in. And he caught me trying to turn around with frozen fingers. Mm. And 
he blasted out of there. Well, three days later, I shot my biggest buck, so I really can't complain about that. No, do you think that one was smaller than the one you got? I think it was. So yeah. That, yeah. it made you a better deer hunter then. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you got a bigger one because it. of it. Yeah. While we're talking about video stuff, so uh, we put a thing out on Instagram earlier for people to ask questions for you. And one of the first questions we got is, uh, love your, this is from John Dumais. He said he loves your videos. What kind of mount do you use for your camera? I know you, you got the over the shoulder. Is it just the, just the backpack mount or what? Yeah, the, the question's been asked quite a bit, but um, I haven't, I've said to folks, I want to do a video on it. I want to show people how I'm going to do it. And the problem is the mount I made was very specific to my backpack. My backpack, it's a Sitka pack um, called the Flash 20. And it weighs about five and a half pounds dry. So I just, I'm trying to go lighter with my gear. So I recently purchased one that is, um, it's a Sitka. I think it's called like the Ascent 10. So it's a lot lighter pack versus like a 20 liter. It's just a, a 10 or 12 liter pack. So I made a, I made them out, out of PVC. And I'm going to put a video up and show people exactly how I did it. Cost less than 10 bucks, right? You just need a GoPro and this frame essentially sticks out of a portion of the pack and you can reach up and turn it on and off. It's something I think everybody can do at home. And um, the GoPro, like I, I always wanted to kind of have this perspective, but it wasn't until GoPro came out with their um, digital image stabilization that you could finally put something up there and just have it be like rock solid. So um, I, I think folks can look out for that video, mm -hmm. right? It's something you can make at home out of PVC, but I wouldn't recommend like strapping it to your backpack strap because it's probably a little too floppy. Yeah. Yeah. See some of that shoulder mount stuff that there's those clips that go on the, the thing and you start moving and they flop down, but yours seems yeah. pretty solid. Yeah. For sure. I bet yeah. you get, you said you get asked that a lot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people have wanted to see it. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I'm ready to share it with folks. Yeah. That's yep. cool. Yeah. Yep. And another question from Landon Putney said, what is, uh, in your opinion, what is the most important piece of tracking gear for deer hunting? Oh, that's a good question. Be for both of you, whatever you guys got. What do you think? Boots, boots are pretty important. <laughs> yeah. So is the <laughs> gun. Need those. Yeah. The gun's real important. So is the gun. <laughs> you got a sweet little ultralight Remington, don't you? Or yeah, both we both you do, pretty or? much have the same thing. Yeah. I, I would almost say my Leopold Illumina caps. Yep because yeah i mean that the gun and, and those on there allow me to keep everything sealed up yep. so when i'm tracking my like you know my, my sight my picture window when i pull up the scope is not uh fogged up mm. or you know covered in snow and that's for me i like using a scope i know guys use open sights yep have you, you ever ever dabbled peep sight at all ever no no i have one you got one we're gonna get in a setup <laughs> yeah <laughs> Those those guns are pretty unique that we we use. They were made by Remington. Remington's only 15 miles from my house. Okay. And I knew a lot of guys that worked at Remington. And they made them 88, 89, and 90, um, three years. And it's a Remington Model 7 FS fiberglass Kevlar stock. Yep. Five and a quarter pounds. We put a one and a half to five Leopold on, and uh, with the Aluma caps. And the Adirondacks is different than Maine in that you can get shots of 100 to 200 yards in that big woods, that big open woods, or you might see a deer at 90 yards, you might want to look at his headgear. And it, so it's important to have the scope. I, I do have one set up for the, as a snow gun when it's really hung in the trees, really bad. I got a peep sight on it. But yep. we, we both got several of those uh, Remington Model 7 FSs. It's, it's a great piece of gear. Yep. Always always tape the, and the gun and run a thread on it. Yep. Yeah, I see you guys get the little, uh, for, is that for just a wind indicator at the end there? Wind indicator, you got a buck coming in and you just take a quick peek at it, see which way the wind's blowing, blowing just make, help you make the decision when you got to shoot. Yeah, that's a good point. Not a lot of people do that. So. And you want to use, your eye picks up yellow a lot better than red, so usually you run a yellow thread. Interesting. All right, I have to look into that. I have to put that on of mine. Hmm. All right, another question for, we kind of talked about this one before, it's about geological features. Uh, Dennis Filtho said, uh, what geological features do you look at on a map before going into a, a new area? So if you're looking at a new area, what would be the first thing that you're queuing on on, on X, would you say? Hmm. I, I'll i say, like, during the season, I stay up late at night looking at on X. Yeah. I'm laying in bed. Oh, yeah. I, before, in the day before, like, searching on X, looking for different features. Um, it One thing that I tend to look for is, like, 
little ponds or wetlands. Okay. Like little ones that the deer can be in. Like you were saying, being in a place where the bucks can um, kind of come off and do some of the rutting down low. And then features where if I don't, if I don't, if say, say there's snow, right? Um, I want to be able to cut a track. So I'm going to look for these travel corridors and try to get in there and cut a track because if that's one thing that worries me, it's having a great day for tracking, but mm. not being on a buck track. Gotcha. That's a good way. Does, does, that, at, make, does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, like, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, uh, for always sure. looking at saddles and pin, pinch points between vies and big wetland complexes where they're cutting through. Yeah. But saddles are, saddles are dynamite. Yep. Mm. Yeah, I like looking for, that's one of the first things I key on on is saddles. That's what's, yeah. Uh, next question from uh, Mike Scarpa, who's a, he's a big, big time mass hunter. He's killed some He's killed a booner, didn't he, a couple years ago? Yeah, with his bow. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> He's the man, wild man Mike. Yeah. His question is, uh, what do you regret more, uh, going too fast on a buck track or not going fast enough? Uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> that's a tough question. <laughs> Depends on the scenario. Mike asking the tough questions. Yeah. You got, you got to catch up to the buck to give yourself a chance. Yep. And then knowing when to put the brakes on, I'm terrible at, Jeff's great at. That's the difference between... Our success ratios. You know when's when. I say the only time I've really regretted anything is pulling off track too early. Ah, yes. Okay. Me too. Yeah. There is. I'm trying to think if it was a damn miss. No, I know what it was. I had a good track right from the road in New Hampshire, up in the White Mountains, and um, I started out tracking the buck, and and there was another buck track just down the road a little ways, and I spent like two hours tracking this buck. And I ended up back where I had crossed the, where he had crossed the road, right? So I was like, ooh, you know, I followed him a little ways and he was just, he, he was going into area like down towards, down towards the, the road. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to get into that. I'm going to go back up on the mountain. So I went back up the mountain and I cut a buck track and I followed a ways and I ended up where essentially I had started in the morning, hmm. right? From the first place. So I, I was just kept tracking this buck backwards. So then I went up even further and um, I got into a, it's probably the only case where this buck was, he was on another deer track and one deer track was going this direction. He was going the opposite way, but he was just backtracking it and the deer would go through an opening and then he would go out around it. And it's one of those scenarios where we're looking for a big wide buck track, right? Yep. And it got to be close to four o'clock, but it wasn't quitting time. And I pulled off him cause I was tired and I was worried how long it would take me to get back to the truck. And uh, the track was a little old, but I should have just kept going till the very end. You know, I, I've gone back. I went back the next year to try to cut that buck track again. I never did. Yeah. And that, I regret that. Big learning lesson there. As a parent, it's terrible hunting with Jeff because <laughs> <laughs> I, I am going back a few years. I shot this buck at 4 o'clock and, and uh, went back to the truck. And I was three miles from the, from the truck. And... Jeff and I are in the same woods, but he was seven miles from the truck, and he left the buck track at like 4.15, and I had the radio on, and I didn't hear from him until like quarter of eight at night, and he's, and I, we're about a mile apart, the radio range, and I, I'd been waiting that whole time, nervous that something happened to him, but he stays right to the last minute, no matter yeah. how far out he is. So anyways, I said, hey, listen, I killed a big buck up there. He says, bring water. <laughs> <laughs> so he brought the game card up, and we ended up getting that buck out at 1130 at night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, that was a nice eight-pointer. You guys had some long drags back oh, in the yeah. day from what I've seen. Yeah, and we're, we're not afraid to uh, cut the bucks up right in the woods either. You know, put them in the skin, skin the, skin the buck. Yep. Cut the meat off, debone them, throw them in the bag button the bag up and then just drag the bag out or come back the next day and bone them and put them in the pack basket yep. yeah good all right i got two more questions then we'll wrap it up uh this one's from ian mckendry beyond the boundaries on youtube i don't know if you've seen any of his videos he's got some good stuff oh, on yeah. there um he said what is an overlooked habitat uh that you have found deer in places folks don't look at you were saying it isaac i think close to the road <laughs> yeah i think that's i think that's the overlooked it habitat is. actually that and houses um, yeah but to to try to think about how i would put that into action for this like this coming year um there's there's places where it might not be like a main road but even some of the roads through the woods like the deer could be 
they might not cross the road, but they might be just off the road. Mm-hmm. And I think if if guys are just using the strategy to like drive the roads and pick up a track, they're going to miss out on those. So um, from a from a tracking perspective, just getting it in beaten feet's one of the things that I think can be done to you know improve chances. Yep. I think yeah. late in the season, right on top of the mountain, the biggest bucks are still right on top of the mountain in some cases. Really? They won't okay. hesitate to go to the top of the mountain the last day of the season. Yep. Even when the snow's deep. Oh yeah. Yep. They can hang out there a little longer than you know those other deer for sure. Uh, last question, Jameson Grady. He's from Maine. He says uh, you happen upon two buck tracks side by side. They split. One is a massive track, probably the biggest you've ever seen, but goes right between two trees that are tight together. The other is a medium-sized buck track, and you can and you can see tine marks in the snow where he was feeding, and he is super wide and what looks like a lot of points. Which buck are you taking? No <laughs> wrong answer on that, but what, what do you guys think? Well, I don't know. He had me at super wide. <laughs> <laughs> he had me at super wide. Yeah. yeah. I'd take the big track because they can twist their head and get up their head through that narrow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we've we've dabbled on that before and talked about yeah. that. We've talked about it. We Some both, guys will tell you if they walk through a tight gap to leave them, but we've both tracked bucks for and killed them that go through stuff that's this, this wide. They're this wide and they go through something like this, and it's like, well, like you said, they can twist their head. They can. Yeah. It happened with my the, my biggest Adirondack buck. Um, there's just that's a, there's a short little clip of me kind of celebrating. Um, oh yeah. He was on the track for five hours, and and in that time he went through this little tiny thing, and I remember like kind of like dissecting it and thinking there's no little branches broke on this <laughs> yeah. how small is this rack yeah. but they have that headgear on top on top and they know i think it's like a part of their body yeah yeah, yeah. they know where every tine is yeah they know how to get through for sure woods. yeah i saw a video of uh it's a buck going through a barbed wire fence really big buck and he just his rack right through there and no i was kidding. like wow that's yeah yeah they know there you go yeah all right, we'll kind of wrap it up from there, but uh, we'll end it on. Do you guys got any big plans for the 2022 season? Any special hunts? Any idea where you guys are going to end up or just kind of kind of keep on doing what you guys are doing? Oh, I did my scouting last year. I, met, I goofed up on two big bucks, and hopefully they're there, so I got yep. my scouting done. Yeah, you know where they are. You're going <laughs> <Yeah>. back. <laughs> and real quick, do you want to tell the, the full story of your biggest buck? Well, is a, I killed him in 2006, but in 2005, Jeff and I were hunting together, and it was the last day of muzzleloader season. Jeff tracked this buck, and he, he went through this enormous swamp, and he, Jeff took him over to an island. The buck ended up going on an island and then through the wetland complex. So I had that in the back of my mind for the whole year. Yeah. And so I ended up going in there, and, and uh, in my scouting, I found six cedar trees. They were about 8, 10, 12 inches. And they were just shredded, absolutely shredded. I had never seen anything like it in all my years of hunting. And they were over a uh, half a mile stretch, and they were in a line. So I ended up hunting that buck I, over 100 hours. I think I probably put in 10, 10-hour 10 days, the dark to dark. And um, finally, I ended up going into that island, and there was a good scrape line on that island. I was in there before daylight. And uh, four o'clock in the afternoon, I heard something. I looked, and here he, here he comes, and he was at 40 yards. And I had actually seen him bow hunting earlier in the year at 26 yards. And hmm. his G2, his G2, he had a big fork G2. He scored 181.6, and he netted 176.7. But he 40-yard shot broadside, and I ended up shooting three times. He ended up going into a wetland, and he only went about 30 yards. Um, I called my best friend, and the only one I had confidence in that's not going to squeal on my hunting spot. <laughs> and uh, he came in. He t- took him about an hour and a half to get in there. It's two miles from the truck. And I, I ended up gutting him and then starting dragging. Had to go through that wet and one complex. Had hip boots on to get through the high water. And uh, we got him out at 930 at night. Jeez. So he was a good buck. It. He was the biggest buck killed in a night of county in 80 years. Wow. So I live right next to a night of county. But it was just to give you a perspective of how big a buck. Well, it was the 100th biggest buck killed in New York at the time. No kidding. In, in, really? As far as non-typical, yeah. Yeah, we'll Tell, post the um, picture of that one. How old he was? He was four and a half. Wow. Four, four and, and a half, half. He dressed 162. Four and a half. Yeah. He just had great genetics. Wow. Beautiful. 17 pointer 
you can, I thought you can only imagine like what that would have. I mean, not, not <laughs> taken away from it, you killing it before. Yeah. I'm just saying, but like, if you imagine, like, how big would that deer have been yeah. for New York? But crazy, yeah. but 181 inches, yeah. Jeez. Just the genetic. We'll post a picture of that on the Instagram page for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll have to get a picture of that. Yeah. All right. What about you, Jeff? Any big plans at the end of the year or for this year or anything? I'm hoping he tags out early so we can get him up to New Hampshire and he can hunt the White Mountains with me. Mm. Nice. I, I, I have fallen in love with the White Mountains. Um, you get up into the kind of high peaks area there, yeah. you go beyond the notch, and it's just it's a spectacular part of the country. It is. Yep. Anybody that's not listening that hasn't seen it, it's something to fall in love with. So hopefully we'll get up there for a trip. But just hunting the states I got licensed to, you know? Yep. yep. That's it. Good yeah. stuff. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there. We appreciate you guys sitting down with us. It's been yeah, awesome. Thank been you. fun. Thank you. A lot of good stories. So we'll see you guys on the next one. Yeah. See you. Okay. Hey, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Just want to say thank you for the support and thank you for listening means a lot to us uh, if you want to help us grow this show share it with somebody that maybe doesn't know about it follow us on our social media pages uh, subscribe to the show in your podcast apps or subscribe to the stagger youtube channel uh, we appreciate the support and we look forward to seeing you guys at hunt stock